Uh, we do want to take some time, I've been making fun of them, we do want to take some time to welcome back uh, college students, and I hear some of them are still trickling, and we're really glad to have them back um, to Boston, uh, some for the first time, others returning. I was just on the, the train uh, just, let's see, Wednesday, I was on the T, and I was noticing, I, I do this one particular trip every week uh, into the city, and I was on the T this Wednesday just kind of noticing that it's different, you know, now that the students are back. It's not silence and everybody trying not to make eye contact, but college students are just talking and buzzing, and so it's, it's really exciting to have those guys back, and they just bring, like, this this vibrancy to the city. Not that you guys aren't vibrant, but they're particularly vibrant, and so glad to have those guys back. And students, just to let you know, uh, if you weren't already aware of this, we're having uh, what we're calling a College Connect dinner. Immediately following the gathering, we're going to meet back at the the window in the kitchen area back there, and we'll just uh, arrange some carpooling stuff. We're going to drive over to Panera Bread on us, have some dinner. So go big, right? You don't have mom and dad to pay for anymore, so go big. And uh, we'll, we'll buy your dinner, and then we'll just uh, share, just for like two minutes there, we'll share with you some things that are happening, some things you can plug in uh, with us this new school year. So we're really glad to have you guys back. So why don't we do this? Why don't we take a minute just to pray together? And this is not a time where I'm just lone praying, but we're going to pray together. And so if you would join me as we go to the Lord, we'll lift up these college students who are back. We'll lift up just uh, some other needs among the church, and then we'll also just ask God tonight to illuminate his scripture to our hearts so that we can... Uh, lead, challenge, stirred, and, and changed. And so let's pray. God, we love you, and we thank you so much for the time that we have together tonight. And God, we don't take it lightly that we get the, the freedom to come and to worship you without fear of persecution in this room. And so God, on a, on a very sensitive uh, 9-11, 10 years later, God, we are just so grateful that we can worship you. And, and God, I pray that uh, we would just really be able to sit in the the weight of what we're doing, that we are coming before uh, a holy God, the creator of the universe, and we're able to, uh, we're able to worship you, to commune with you, and with your people, all because of what Jesus did, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, and so we're grateful for that, God, we thank you. And Father, we do want to lift up tonight these students who are back, God, I pray that uh, they would make a bold kind of Daniel-type step, and they would raise their flag early this semester, that they would say, I'm living for Jesus, this is what I'm all about, and so I commit them to you, Lord, I pray that you would just work in their hearts and make this uh, semester be a powerful semester for them in terms of uh, just personal growth, educational growth, relational growth, but more than anything, God, I pray that they would make an impact in their schools, in this city, in New England for Christ, and that they would grow in their relationship with you like they never have before, that this would not be a semester that is just uh, semester of pure education. It would be so much more than that. So we commit them into your hands. God, we do lift up to you those who are away. We have um, some still recovering from surgery, and God, we just want to lift them up to you. Pray that you would uh, bring them back with us and and continue your healing in their bodies. And and, and so, God, we just thank you for successful surgeries. I'm thinking of even three right now. I, I just lift those up to you, Lord. Continued healing and continued grace and draw people near to you bodies ache, and so we just commit them to you, Lord. Lord, tonight, would you uh, just open your word to our hearts, may you just make our, our eyes see it in a new way, see it, uh, even even narratives, in, in just a way that, that really allows it to come alive to our hearts and to our lives, and so we ask for that, and may your word not return void tonight, and so we commit these things to you, for your glory, in Jesus' name, amen, amen. So, 
just a couple of Sundays ago, we were, uh, we were not here because we were hunkering down for Hurricane Irene. You remember that lady? Yeah, so she was here and upon us, and uh, we thought she would be scarier than she actually uh, was. But I, I, I don't really watch a lot of TV, but I was watching a lot of news in particular that week, as I'm sure many of you were, kind of just preparing for what was to come and also trying to figure out, are we going to cancel this thing? And, and we did, and with respect to our governor, but, you know, we probably could have been here, right? But uh, we canceled, and while I was watching news, one day in particular, I remember this, this news anchor lady said, uh, said, said something about how, how if you go to our website, you can get a list for a, a personal hurricane emergency preparedness kit. And so my little five-year-old Isaiah just really locked onto that. And he said, Dad, we got to do that. And he just got so excited. And, and it was Saturday. I was like, it's kind of family day, and so let's do it. And, and, and so we, we, uh, we went online, pulled up the, the website, and found this emergency preparedness kit for uh, hurricanes in particular. And uh, it, it was a good time. Uh, my, my three-year-old, his perspective of what a hurricane was, was that it's a tornado on the water is what he calls it. And so, but he doesn't call it a tornado. He calls it a tomato. So we're, we're, we're going to get hit by a tomato that's coming at us from the Atlantic Ocean. And, and so we just had a really good time just going through the list and, and just banging out things, things that were just some, some made sense. And then some were just kind of ridiculous. But just for the fun of it, I said, this is family day. We're just going to get every single thing on that list. And we spent like a good hour that morning getting everything on the list from um, jugs of water to canned food. And we made the train table in our boys' bedroom, you know, emergency hurricane preparedness kit central. And so we were, it was kind of goofy, but we were taking canned foods out of the pantry and putting them on the train table, even though... You know, just in case half of our house is gone and the other half, you know. And so we did that. We, we, no, we didn't split them, but that would have been smart, wouldn't it, if we had left some? But anyhow, so we, we did that. We had a can opener. We had, uh, we had, it said a pad of paper and a pencil. And I don't know if that's in case, you know, we need to write, like, our, our last wishes, you know, on the paper and nail it to the door or something. I don't know. And so we had that. We had, gosh, what else? We had, the, it said to fill up the bathtub with water in case the water goes. And you can use it to flush the toilet. With the, so we filled up the bathtub with water, and we weren't allowed to take uh, you know, a shower or a bath for a day and a half because the water was important, and we didn't want to lose that. And so we had that going on. Uh, we had uh, just, just everything. Uh, board games was one. It said board games because children might get bored. And so we had Candyland and all these games stacked up. We were ready to go. But of course, what we, we, we had, the, the one thing that every emergency kit had on the list was flashlight, right? And so we had our flashlights, we had our batteries, and, and we, were, we were sure uh, ready to go. And the thing is, nobody wants to get stuck in the dark. Foxborough, you know, they may still be in the dark for all I know right now. I don't know. Now the Patriots are back in action, so we, had to, we have to get the lights on in Foxborough. So eventually, I think they got their, their lights on so we can see our Tommy boy, right? But uh, we, uh, we're, we're entering into this series uh, last week. It's a series that we're calling shine, uh, speaking of darkness and, and, and how nobody wants to be caught in, in the darkness. And I think it's very fitting that we just spend a few weeks together thinking through this, this idea of shine that Jesus gives to us. Uh, because we're in, in a time period, obviously last weekend being Labor Day, and, and, and now we're in this time where all things are fresh, all things are new, students are back, summer vacations are behind us, and, and so we need to really nail it down that 
that this new season of life is not going to be a season of mediocrity, but it really is going to be a season that we uh, purpose in our heart that we are going to shine and we are going to make an impact and we are going to really ultimately let uh, the Lord uh, shine through us. Now, um, the same week preceding the hurricane, I, I was up at the, the Washington Street housing complex, which is a, a huge apartment complex that our church has kind of adopted, and, and so we have people volunteering there quite a bit. Some of you have been there, and uh, I, I try to spend time up there at least once a week and just kind of meet with residents and hang out and talk with social workers and different things like that. And so I was up there um, that, that same week, just a couple days before the hurricane turned tropical storm hit, and, and I just was talking to people, and I remember on my way out, I was, I was in my car, and this lady comes up, and she, Josh, Josh. And rolls down, I roll down the window, and she says, hey, uh, any chance you maybe could pick up a flashlight for me? And I'm just thinking, I, okay, I will, you know. And, and I'm thinking, CVS is right next door to the place, but I went on a special trip, and, and, I, and, I, and I got a flashlight. And, and I came back and gave her the flashlight. And I, you know what, it kind of just left this, this thing in my, my head and in my heart just for the, the few weeks following uh, bringing this flashlight to her. I just couldn't really get out. And, and that, you know, this, this really is a powerful reminder for me that, that, you know, some people are counting on us to, to give them the light, right? Some people are counting on us to give them the light of Christ. And, and, and maybe you don't see it that way, but there are people that God has put in your life at this season right now. You are where you are on purpose by God. There is no coincidence in his economy because he wants you to impart the light to them. And I, I'm really grateful for that opportunity to bring this lady the, the physical light and my, my heart is burdened for her to bring the light of Christ. And we are called to do that. And, and so last week what we saw um, with a, a lamp on a, on a lampstand right here, we saw that, that Jesus calls us uh, to be this kind of light that shines bright, that draws people in because of the light, because of the warmth, like a campfire, because of the benefit of cooking food, of, of, of being that kind of light that adds value to our community. And you know that that's our heart as a church if you've been here for any number of weeks. And so why don't we do this? Why don't we flip to, to Matthew chapter 5? I just want to just kind of see this very quickly um, one more time. If you have a Bible, Matthew chapter 5, we were here last week, Matthew 5, 14, 15, and 16, and uh, I just want to show you what Jesus says one more time, very familiar to many of you, but I think it's important uh, that we see it one more time. Here's what, what Jesus says, Matthew 5, 14, 15, and 16, in the midst of his uh, sermon on the mount, he says this, he says, you are the light of the world, a city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light so shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And so these are some very familiar words of, of Christ, and I want us to hear them again as we really focus on them last week, but hear them again just up front um, tonight. But Jesus says, you are the light of the world, that you are like a city upon a hill, and that you are a place of refuge, you are a place of comfort, you are a place of provision, you are a place of, of an opportunity for life and fellowship and relationship 
for the weary traveler. And then he goes on, he says, and you are like a lamp on a lampstand. And other, other gospel accounts say that we don't put a basket on it. You know the kid's song, right? Hide it under a bushel. No, I'm going to let it shine. We don't do that. We, we put it in the highest place in the house and we let it shine. And, and see, it's so familiar for us that maybe it just becomes, yeah, 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 I've heard that. But understand that at the end of, end of chapter 4, uh, we end with this kind of picture of Jesus literally healing every single person that came to him at that time. Any person at that moment in his ministry that came to him with affliction, with any kind of pain, any kind of issue, he healed them. And so obviously people were drawn to Jesus. And it says that people who uh, were paralytics, epileptics, uh, demonic possession, people who had pain, who, who had heartache, they came to Jesus. And on and on and on it says he just, he healed them. Now, with this in view, as far as they were concerned, this is it. Jesus is the healer. He's all we need. We're all set. We're just going to go after him and let him do what only he does. We're all good. Now, in a sense, that is 100% absolutely true. But then he goes on right after this and says, but you are the light of the world. So in other words, what he's done is he's, he's killed our excuses. He's killed our ability to say, well, Jesus is God, and so I sit back with my hands in my pocket. He killed that excuse, and he calls us to be the, the light of the world that he wants to shine through us. And so how much more powerful, think about that, how much more powerful is it that Jesus, who ultimately is the light of the world, says, I want to be the light of the world now through you, because what happens, it's double-fold. Other people have needs met, but guess what? While you're being the one being used, your heart just comes ablaze as you're you're, you're experiencing the power of Christ flowing through you. And, and can I just say there have been many times in my life where God has just enabled me to do things. And I'm just thinking, where did that come from? Or, or say something like, where did, where did that come from? And it was very clearly the power of Christ throwing, flowing through my life. And just unbelievably uh, privileged to experience that. And my heart and my mind just goes back. I, it's just, those are some of the most incredible times in my life is not when I'm in here singing, but when I'm out serving and seeing his power flow through my life. And he has that in his, his plan for you as well, that you would benefit others and you in turn would be benefited as you serve the Lord. And so last week, that's what we saw, that we are to be this illuminating kind of light where people are drawn just as people were drawn to Jesus and he showed his power like a, like a lamp on a stand. However, it can't stop there. This cannot be our only method. This is an important method that we are illuminating, that we attract people, that we live exemplary lives, that we add value to the community. That is one of the methods of Christ. That was who he was, but it can't be our only method. In fact, we have to move from this to this. We have to move from being a lamp on a stand that is illuminating to becoming uh, like a mag light. Anybody have a mag light? I'm, I'm, such a, I'm such a guy, and so, you know, there's something about when you hold a mag light, you just feel powerful, you know, because you got the light, it's big, and you can not only shine at people, you can also whack people, you know, I, guess, I think that's what police officers use it for. So there's something about, uh, about a mag light, you know, for me, I don't know, I just, I enjoy it, I like to carry it around, I like to threaten my children, no, I don't, but I like it, it's, it's good. And, and see, a mag light wasn't necessarily designed just to, to hang from the ceiling in your house or put up on a stand, 
and let it illuminate, but a mag light was designed to send a penetrating, very focused kind of, of beam. And so what we're focusing on now this week is, is yet another method of Jesus. He was illuminating, but we also see that Jesus is, is penetrating, that he came to penetrate the darkness. He came on, on a mission. That is his heart, that he wants to use you to, to penetrate the darkness. Because really, here we are sitting um, just shortly after um, the, the, the hours where we commemorate the 10-year the anniversary of this awful tragedy. And so there is no doubt that there is darkness among us. Let there be no doubt. We've seen people, uh, to, even today on the, on the news, as we turn on the television, we see people crying and broken and hurting, even in your own life. You, you know people who are hurting and broken and upset and burdened and confused. And, and God's call for us is to enter into their darkness, to penetrate their darkness and, and to serve them and to uh, consider that a mission that God has put on, on our lives. And, and, and God calls us to do that just like Christ did because Christ came from the heavens, entered into darkness as one on a mission. And he didn't simply come just to hang out with us, as, as I think some like to think that he just came to be a good example. He didn't simply come just to be a good teacher, but he came on a very specific rescue mission to, to rescue us, to get something done. And in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, here's what he says. He says, I came to seek and to save the lost. So he, he came, he went on a particular mission to earth to seek and to save the lost. It was a search and rescue mission to rescue his people um, from the darkness that they were in. They were lost, and he came to, to rescue us. And then he would go on to, uh, when he, he approaches us, to say, I, I want to give my life in place of, of your life. And so he comes to earth as a man, lives perfectly the life that we couldn't live. He dies the death that we deserve to resurrect, to defeat Satan's sin and, and death for us, and then to offer us his righteousness in exchange for our, our sin and our unrighteousness. And so that we can be saved from the, the lost state that we are in if we by faith would trust in what only he could do. And so that was his mission, to come to find us, to execute justice and salvation and save many, many, many. And to God be glory for that. He's a... Uh, an incredible Savior. And I want us to, as we enter into a new text uh, now for the remainder of our time, I want us to really just focus in on just this narrative. I just want to focus in and just really see Jesus as a man on a mission coming to penetrate darkness. And so if you have a Bible, our, our primary text for tonight, John 18. John 18, verse 1. And if you don't have a Bible, you can look up on the screen. And for those of you who don't own a Bible, as always, on your way in, you can grab one on the table on your way out. If you forgot to grab one, look on the screen, but on your way out, uh, grab one of those Bibles, and we would be uh, really excited for you to take that and to keep that uh, as our gift to you. Um, so, so that's your Bible. All right, well, before we read this, uh, we, need to know the, we need to know the context, John 18, preceding this. Um, I want to I make sure that we get this, that nothing catches God by surprise. So here we find Jesus in this particular moment where it almost seems like he was caught off guard but he wasn't. We need to know that he wasn't caught by surprise. He's this man on the mission. He knows what he's doing. And now it's time to really complete the mission, to get things done. And so just 
just before we get into John 18, uh, verse 1, understand that, that 700 years prior to this text, Isaiah the prophet foretells that the Messiah would come to Israel, that, that he would be uh, arrested, and that he would be killed. Understand that 400 years prior then to this text, God stopped sending his famous Old Testament prophets, building anticipation for the coming Messiah. Understand that, that then 33 years prior to what we're about to, to, to read, that, that God breaks the silence by, by putting a multitude of angels in the sky to make this grand announcement that the Savior of the world has been born in human flesh to the shepherds. Understand that, that three and a half years prior to this day, John the baptizer lays eyes on this Jesus of Nazareth for the very first time, and without ever having seen him, he lays eyes on him and says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the, the sin of the world. Understand that three years prior to this text, Jesus tells Nicodemus, he says, I have de- descended from heaven, and I will also ascend to heaven. I have come down on a mission. I'm going to get it done, and I'm going to go back. Understand that one year uh, before this day, Jesus tells his followers that he would be killed by Jewish leaders. He predicts what's about to happen. He says, but I'll be back in in three days. I will raise this temple right back up. Understand that that four days prior to this date, Jesus rides into Jerusalem. And the very same people that are going to demand him to be killed were also cheering for him. And while they're cheering for him, some powerful people are plotting his death. And so Jesus knows the irony. They're cheering for me, but they're about to demand me to be killed. Understand that on this day, Jesus is going to be betrayed, arrested, denied by his closest follower. He's going to be mocked. He's going to be put on trial, all in preparation for his undeserved death that will take place the next day, tomorrow. So let's read it. John chapter 1, John chapter 18, verses 1 through 3. Here's what it says. It says, when Jesus had spoken these words, He went out with his disciples across the Kidron Valley, where there was a garden, which he and his disciples entered. Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. Judas was one of them. And so Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers of the chief priests and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. We'll stop there. And so for quite some time now, the ministry of Jesus has been working its way towards Jerusalem, where where Jesus would accomplish his great work on the cross. You know the story. Uh, His life on earth that we know of as his incarnation, carn carn being the root word, flesh, right? His incarnation, God becoming flesh, wasn't only to be a good teacher, wasn't only to be a good example. It was to do what he's about to do, to lay his life down as foretold. It doesn't catch him by surprise. And, And here what we see is Jesus has been praying some time, if you look at the preceding chapter, in this garden that was kind of the disciples' go-to place as of recent. He's been praying in this garden, and while he's praying, um, the text pre- preceding this tells us that he's encouraging his disciples, you guys got to pray, you guys got to pray, this is going to be crazy, you've got to, to pray, and while they're praying, a crowd comes up. Now, usually when a crowd comes up to Jesus, they come up to Jesus and they're saying, please heal us, teach us, we've got a question, but this time the crowd that comes to Jesus is a little bit 
different. This crowd includes soldiers and officers of the chief priests and Pharisees. And, and in this crowd is Judas, who is one of, as you know, the, the 12 disciples, Judas Iscariot. And he brought them to this garden where he knew that, that Jesus and his disciples would probably be at because it had been their place for some time, the Garden of Gethsemane. And, and the other synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, kind of fill in some of the holes of this story. And so I'll give you some other holes of this story. But the other synoptic gospels tell us that when Judas sees Jesus, he, he identifies Jesus for the other soldiers with a kiss. They didn't know necessarily what Jesus, you know, Jesus is, wasn't all that familiar, especially in the dark. And so he kisses Jesus because he had spent more time with him just to say, this is, is the man. But Jesus knew what was going on. And so what does he say to Judas right when Judas kisses him? He says, whoa, are you serious right now? Judas, are, are you really going to do this? Are you, are you going to betray me with uh, a kiss, Judas? See, he knew that this money-hungry Judas had sold him out for, for chump change and was kissing him to identify him uh, for the soldiers. And, and we really kind of, as we go on in, in the next few verses, we kind of get the, the, the context painted for us that we see that this is really kind of an intimidating situation. It says that, that there's a crowd, there's an angry mob, it says that it's dark, and so there's lanterns, there's, there's torches. I mean, this is intimidating, and Jesus doesn't do, I think, the one thing that I probably would have done, which is, I, as soon as I see torches coming over the hill, I would be running, right? And Jesus doesn't do that. He stands there and, and holds his ground. You know, Jesus did, at other times, take off when, when they came for him. At other times in his ministry, Jesus did avoid uh, the people who were hunting him, him down, like in Luke chapter 4, at the beginning of, of his ministries in his hometown of Nazareth. He says some things that really tick some people off, and so they're ready to kill him by throwing him over the cliff, and guess what Jesus does? He runs. He takes off. He starts going the other way, and he miraculously kind of goes through the crowds, and he lives, because it wasn't time for his death, but here, they come to him. They're ready to, to end it. And he just stands his ground because he knows that it's time to accomplish, fully accomplish the mission. But check this out. Um, check this out. Let's go on in, in, in verses 4 through 9. And just, I just want you to see just how poised and focused Jesus is. He's a man on a mission. He knows what he's doing. Here's what it says. Verse 4. It says, Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? And they answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. And when Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. And so he asked them again, whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. And so if you seek me, let these men go. And this was to fulfill the word that he had spoken of those whom you gave me, I have not lost, uh, I have lost not one. We'll stop there now. So it starts by saying Jesus knows what's going on. He knows what's about to happen. He knew what was going to happen to him. And so he just says, let's get on with the show. Who do you see? Who do you want? And they say, Jesus of Nazareth. And he says, it's me. I am he. And what happens after he makes this powerful declaration? He says, I am he. I am Jesus. Right when he makes that powerful declaration, it says they, they draw back and they fall down. Now, just kind of a, kind of a little uh, kind of, uh, 
important point for us just to see all throughout Scripture. This happens so common that when God uh, just makes this, this divine revelation of himself, for people who don't worship God, what often happens is they fall back like these. But when God divinely reveals himself so often in Scripture to people who worship him, they, they fall the opposite direction. They fall on their face. If you look at Revelation chapter 1, when, when John sees Jesus in all of his glory, what happens when he sees him? He falls flat on his face in, in worship and, and humility, but Jesus doesn't say, that's right, stay down. What does he do? He reaches out his hand to him. It's a beautiful thing. These people fall back, but if you worship God, you fall forward. And we just see that he is fully, fully in control. And he says, again, who are you looking for? So this is probably after they stood back up, dusted themselves off. He says, who are you looking for? And they say, Jesus of Nazareth. And he says, that's me. And if you're looking for me, let these guys go. If you're looking for me, let my the disciples go. And then John kind of points out this little side commentary in verse 9. He says that, that by Jesus protecting his disciples here, he's fulfilling the previous chapter, John chapter 17, verse 12, um, by guarding his disciples. Um, just kind of a little side commentary there. But what I want you to see here, that unlike Luke chapter 4, Jesus is poised, he's ready, he says, let's do this, let's get on with it, fully knowing that it's going to be awful, fully knowing that it's going to be difficult, but he says, it's time, I'm ready to fulfill my mission. He's been focusing on the cross, he's been marching towards the cross his entire life, and now he's here, and he says, it's, it's showtime, it's game time, let's do this. Nothing can stop me, let's do this. But if anybody would try to stop him, who would try to stop him? Peter, right? If you know the, the character of, of Peter at all, he's, he's known as the impulsive one, right? Sometimes his impulsivity is a good thing, right? Like when he, he steps out on water and just goes at it, right? That was a good thing. But here he's kind of impulsive and he does something kind of dumb. So let's see what Peter does. Look at verses 10 and 11. It says, Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. Uh, the servant's name was Malchus. And so Jesus said to Peter, put your sword in its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? And so Peter tries to say Jesus. You can't say Jesus, right? You can't say Jesus. Jesus is going to do what Jesus wants to do. He's on a mission. He's out to accomplish this. So Peter pulls out this sword that, you know, history tells us that these guys would kind of carry underneath here to protect themselves from from, from robbers and, and guys who were out to harm them while they travel. So he pulls this thing out and just by impulse just goes and cuts off Malchus's ear. And, and Jesus says, oh, Peter, just let's put the sword away. Now, the other gospel, according to Luke, adds that what Jesus does is he takes the ear, right? You know this? And he puts it back on Malchus's head, which is just kind of crazy that he would do that. He would heal his enemy, but it's just kind of neat to see that Jesus is in control. He's almost saying, Malchus, have your ear back because you're just doing what I need you to do. Arrest me. Let's go. It's time for me to go to the cross. I have people that I love that I'm trying to save. And, and then Jesus says something incredibly profound. Look at verse 11. B. After kind of rebuking Peter, here's what he says. He says, Peter, shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? Should I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? Here's what he's referring to. He's referring to the, the cup of God's wrath. That he would on the cross have the wrath of God 
for the sin of mankind poured out on him through the brutal, brutal uh, Roman crucifixion model. That he would endure the, the wrath of God, but not just physically, but spiritually, that for the first time, this triune God who's been in relation since eternity past, he now is separated from the Father, and the Father cannot look at him in the agony of not just the cross, but the agony of having the wrath of God for the sin of all of mankind throughout all of history poured on him. God turns his back to where Jesus cries out to him, and he doesn't answer him on the cross. He knew that was coming. He's ready to take on the wrath of God. But please understand that though Jesus is about to take on the wrath of God, that he fully, fully understood the weight of this. It wasn't Jesus saying, let's just do this, it's going to be a breeze because I'm God. This was going to be brutal, brutal, brutal for him. And in, in, in the, the, the chapters preceding this, as Jesus is praying what's known as his high priestly prayer, uh, we, we see that he says, God, please, if you will, remove this cup from me. God, I don't want this. This is, this is awful. However, not my will, but your will be done. And so he says, let's, let's do this if this is what you want. He knows that it's going to be hard. And can I say something as we kind of transition into Jesus was a man on a mission and we're to be people on mission? Can I say that we need to know that it's, it's oftentimes very hard <laughs> to follow Jesus, particularly to follow Jesus in such a way that you want to live on the mission that he's called you to. It, it is oftentimes hard, but the example of Jesus is it's hard, but yet I want the will of the Father, and I know that it's the best for his purposes and for me. And so God's given me a mission. I must fulfill it. That's the heart of, of Jesus. And, and I love how, just kind of how he says it to, to Peter. Let's read it again. He says, shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? It's almost as if he's saying, Peter, it would be ludicrous for me not to do what I'm here to do. And that would be, I mean, that's why I'm here. Should I not do this? And if we are to follow really the example of Christ here, we should really be saying the same thing. That it would be ludicrous for me as a follower of Christ to not do the very thing that he put me on this planet to do, and that is to live for his glory and for his purposes and for his mission. And, and yet so many of us, probably many, many of us even in this room today, we're living our lives as if something else is the mission. When we have a very serious calling upon our lives, and that is to let our light so shine before men that others would see that light and glorify us? No. And glorify the Father, which is in heaven. He's a, he's a man on a mission, and we're a people on a mission. And by this being the very last thing that Jesus says to Peter and to his disciples before going to the cross, he's making a really, really powerful statement. He's saying, Peter, I got to go do what God's called me to do. And that's kind of my last statement before I go to the cross. And so I'm saying to you that you need to do what God's called you to do. You need to go and you need to penetrate darkness. John chapter 17, here's what Jesus says as he's praying to God. He says, Father, as you have sent me into the world, and so I, I send them into the world. And so he had a mission, and we have a mission, and that is to carry it 
out. Know that all throughout Jesus' ministry, we hear him constantly saying throughout the, the gospel accounts, the Father has sent me, the Father has sent me, the Father has sent me, the Father has sent me. And so he says, as the Father has sent me, even so, I am sending you. And man, let, let that empower you. Let that cause you to understand that I'm here on this earth at this moment for a reason. God has me here. He wants to use me. There is no coincidence in his economy. He has a mission for me, and I want to fulfill it. I want to let his light shine through me so that others might glorify, others might glorify him. He could have done it all by himself, but he chooses to, to, to use that. And so we need, to, we need to get on board, or he's just going to move on with or without us. And we miss out on the privilege of being this, this channel through which God's power can flow. Let me close with a, a story. It was, uh, I think it was back in the spring when I was hanging out with my boys in, in early in the morning. So let me just kind of give you how the mornings look at the Wyatt household. Um, I'm an early, early morning kind of guy, and so uh, I'm up really early kind of reading my Bible and just doing some, some different things, and then eventually the boys will get up, we have two boys, and they'll get up, you know, around, I don't know, 6.30-ish, and uh, so for you sleep lovers out there, make sure to do exactly what my wife did, because she's a sleep lover, and marry somebody who's a very early morning person so that you can get your sleep while they watch the, the kids, not that she sleeps in super late, but she gets a little bit uh, more than she would if she was the one up with the the kids, and so she's smart, so marry a, uh, an early morning person, you sleep lovers, but we were, we were up early in the morning, it was like 6.30 in the morning, we read our Bible story, we started to play, and play time at the Wyatt family household means my boys are in their superhero tidies, and they're running around, and Luca will eventually put like a helmet on his head, and then Isaiah will you know, put his underwear on his head, and that means he's in superhero mode, for some reason, the underwear is on your head, that means you're suddenly a superhero for him, and, and so we're usually wrestling around on the floor, and, and eventually it, it seems to always lead into us entering into some kind of epic battle or going on some kind of secret mission, and uh, so, so not long ago, this, this one particular morning, I remember I, I grabbed Isaiah's face, and, and I just said, all right, buddy, your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to go into the mommy cave and wake up the fire-breathing mommy dragon. Because it was time for her to get up and we were going to get our day going. And so I had to, right? I mean, I had to. And so he was like, yes! He does this thing with his double fist and he goes, yes! And so we're, we get down on all fours, me and, and, and Isaiah and Luca, and we start crawling around the house and we're all, you know, underwear on the head and everything. We're ready to roll. And, and we get into the bedroom and we creak in and we get to the foot of the bed. And I remember taking... Luca and going plop, and plopping him on the bed and at this point I'm, I'm thinking my wife is waking up right now but she's like oh gosh here we go and so she pretends to, to still be asleep and then I take my kind of heavier son I'm like, and plop him on the bed and then I crawl up on the bed and we just get right in her face and, and just totally freak her out not really she kind of knew it was coming but she played along and uh, man we had, a, we had a good time and can I just say to my boys absolutely Loved it. Becky, on the other hand, did not love it, right? She's kind of like, um, I'm like a television, you know, like you power on and whoop, I'm on, right? But she's more like a computer where she's got to boot, you know, boot up. 
and so she was just like, ah, it was awful, right? But can I, can I just say this? Can I state the obvious? I didn't need my boys to wake up, my wife. My routine every day is, okay, let's go wake her up. Well, not, not as of recent with the baby that's not sleeping so well right now. However, generally speaking, almost every day I'm in there waking her up. Hey, it's time. It's, you know, not that she's sleeping. I'm not waking her up at 10. I'm not trying to paint my wife in a bad light here. It's much earlier than that, 9.45. So <laughs> I'm telling you, I just go in there and wake her up. That's how we roll. I didn't need my boys to do it for me. But can I say this? I fully understood the joy that my kids would have going on a secret mission with daddy. They loved every second of the mission with daddy. And isn't that, isn't that kind of how it is with God? You understand that God doesn't need us, right? The scriptures say that, that God is in the heavens and he does whatever he pleases. He doesn't need us. And, and, and there are so many times in Scripture that, that he saves people through other people. But then there is the time like when, when the Apostle Paul, before he's the Apostle, he saw he's killing Christians. He's, he's a murderer of Christians. And what does God do? Through no other man, he just blinds Saul on the side of the road. By himself, he just blinds him. He doesn't need us, but he chooses to use us. Because I don't think that, that God's not going to get it done without you, but he has given you a great privilege to be on mission with him. And so I just pray that we would, we would leave really with that upon our shoulders, that God has given you the privilege to be his power channel through which he will flow and, and minister to others and be the light to the world, but yet you get to light up and you get to have his power flowing through you. And so let me close with three questions very quickly. First of all, do you know the mission? Do you know the mission? I've given you the mission once again, over and over and over and over again, Jesus constantly stating the mission. I've come so they may have life and have it abundantly. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. God sent his Son into the world in order that the world through him might be saved. He's constantly saying the mission because he knows his mission. He was focused on it. He knew why he was here. Maybe many of us tonight, we need to know the mission. We've heard it, but we need to rehear it because maybe the mission's become blurry. Maybe for you, the mission has become your career. Maybe for you, the mission has become a, a hobby. Maybe for you, the mission becomes school. It may become something else other than God's purpose, God's mission. These things are good, but they are a means. They are not the end. They are the means to the end. So know the mission. Next question is this. Do you know your field? It's important that we identify our mission field. Like God has you somewhere on purpose for a reason. It might not be the third world. It might be your hall at your college. It might not be the third world. It might be your next door neighbor. It might be your work. It might be your team. But God has a field that he has put you on and you need to know it. You need to identify it. You need to pray and say, God, where is it? Maybe that you're sending me. Maybe I'm already there, and I just need to identify it. And then, do you know your help? See, God's given us help. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he says that he's given us power for his mission. And we need to know the Holy Spirit power that we have to accomplish his mission. And then the other help that he gives us is each other. He gives us his, his church. You know, in Hebrews, uh, it's a verse that pastors use all the time to make you feel guilty that you have to come to church. 
he says that we shouldn't forsake the assembling together. So he'll guilt you for a second. But he says, here's why. So that we can spur one another on towards love and good deeds. And so we do this so that we can go make an impact in the world. And so know your help, know your field, know your mission. In a minute, I'm going to pray. And uh, as, I, as I lead us in a time of prayer, um, just before I do that, I just want to let you pray. And just talk to God for a minute, if you would. Maybe you just need to, to, to talk to God and thank him for the privilege to join him in his mission. Maybe you just need to uh, ask him to refocus you on the mission. Maybe you need to, to ask God um, just to, to empower you on the mission, to identify where the mission is that he's called you to go and to make disciples. Maybe you just need to talk to God for a minute. Maybe, maybe even some of you tonight, you need to ask God for the very first time to rescue you, that you might join his team and his mission, his rescue party. But first, God, would you rescue me? God, I want to turn to you and I want to I want to follow you. I want to turn from my sin and trust in what you've done to deal with it. So take a second to pray, and then I'll close this in prayer, and we'll sing another song.